and welcome to Sip, Sip, Hooray, the podcast for people who like wine, but not all the fussiness and snobbery that's sometimes associated with wine. When you think of wine country, you probably think of lush vineyards and world-class wineries, a peaceful, idyllic place where the only drama you might find is perhaps in the dramatic vistas. But a hot new series on Oprah Winfrey's own network turns a winery into a place of high drama. And at the center of it all is the African-American family who own King Wines. The Kings of Napa has everything from extortion plots to infidelity, family power plays, and plenty of romance. It's a binge-worthy take on wine country living, and we're excited to be joined by the show's creator today, Janine sherman Berwall. We are, of course, the two Marys who like to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm Mary Babbitt. And I'm Mary Orlin. And as the show itself says, what's juicier, the grapes or the king family secrets? <laughs> well, <laughs> so along the way, um, they spill all the tea, but we're not going to spill it for all for all the tea for you today because we want you to follow along the series and hopefully if you're listening to this you are already enthralled with the series if not hopefully you're recording it so you can binge watch it later but what you're going to see is a show that is about a powerful black family running the amazing winery but all the scandals, all the salacious secrets, all the family drama comes out. So it's something that will keep you on the edge of your seat. And just like a fine wine will make you want to come back for another taste. So welcome, Janine. Oh, thank you guys. I'm excited to be here. Well, as I said, we are loving the show, and I would love to just kick us off by having you explain how you got the idea for this. Because as Mary Orlin said, you are the creator, you are the show runner, writer, producer. I mean, you kind of, you wear a lot of hats on this one. So where did this idea come from? I, you know what, I have always wanted to do a show about, you know, an influential African-American family. And I think it was probably about eight years ago. It could be 10 years ago at this point. Um, I went with some friends to, I was on my way to Santa Barbara, to San Ayez, to um, hang out with some friends and go to a vineyard. And when I was getting dressed in the morning, we were having like a van limo thing pick us up so that we could drink and eat and not drive, you know? Smart. And yeah, it was, you know, about 12 people. And I was telling my mom I had to get off the phone. My mother was in Virginia at the time. And I said, I'm going to this place. We're going to eat at this place called Molly's and we're going to Rideau Vineyard. And she said, oh, you know, Lisa's mom, her cousin owns this vineyard. And I said, no, 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 it's not black owned. She goes, yeah, 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 it's black owned. And I said, it's Rideau. It's in Santa Barbara. I promise you, it's not a black owned vineyard. And she, <laughs> and she literally laughed at me and said, why do you think there's not black owned vineyards? And I said, I, um, I don't know. I never thought about it because I had never seen it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so she said, this is her family. This is Iris Rideau, um, owns this vineyard. And when we went there, Iris actually was not in town. Um, and I didn't get a chance to meet her. But 
I sat on this, you know, picnic blanket at this vineyard and I thought, wow, this would be an amazing, amazing background or backdrop for a show. And there had been shows that had dealt with sort of vineyards years before, like I think Brothers and Sisters, and then way, way before that, um, you know, in the Falcon Crests. But oh, I had yes. never seen anyone, yeah, with an African American family. And so mm -hmm. when I was sitting there on the um, picnic blanket, I just started pretending like people started coming alive and I started thinking of scenarios and then I sort of put it in my back pocket thinking one day I'll do this and then I started looking at other characters in my life at family reunions people that I knew twisted their lives and I said here if I take all of these crazy characters these amazing characters that we find in family and I lay it on top of the vineyard I would have something sort of unique and distinctive and that's sort of how it began and I you know eventually got the script to Oprah to own and um, we developed it for their network I, I think originally it was bigger it, it dealt with sort of the war between two vineyards and mm -hmm. we made it just a little smaller so we could just focus on the, the kings themselves. And um, and we do have a little bit, as you can see with the season with Sean and Sean, we do have a little right. bit of the conflict of another vineyard. Um, but it's really about this family and about the dynamics that happen as they all try to figure out and reconcile with, you know, the patriarch leaving. Sure. And yeah, and, and how all of the kids sort of have to you know have a power play and how you deal with grief how you deal with loss mm -hmm. and wine and wine yeah and, you know wine is certainly a character but it's not the main focus and you know what i really appreciated about it was how many powerful women you profile in the series um and i was wondering were there specific people and maybe it in the wine industry who you have met along the way that helped shape these characters? You know, it's interesting. I read a lot about different people in the wine business. I didn't, I mean, just for, you know, like legal reasons, I didn't um, write about anybody specifically, you know and I mean? I, sure. I mean, as a writer, what you do is you try to find a world and then you try to find characters that you create in your own mind to fit the world. And that way you're not doing anyone's life story. I mean, the irony of Iris and I is we've been playing phone tag um, and met each other through you know, Instagram, but we have not physically met or spoken yet. And oh, wow. Yeah, and, and, and that is because I was not trying to do her life story, mm -hmm. you know, nor, all any of the wine consultants, um, we have a guy, Laquintus, who's um, part of Tilford Wines in Atlanta. It's a father and son oh, vineyard. Okay. They um, consulted and sort of helped give us the wine jargon he did on this, on the piece so that it, it sounded accurate. But I never got into the dynamics of him and his father. I sort of, he told me some things about him and his father, the vineyard that we shot at in, um, we, we, we clearly the cost is very expensive to shoot in California. Yeah. So 
for a show like this, where all of the money needs to be spent on the screen, your most productions are not here, unfortunately. Um, so we wanted a doubling Napa as Niagara Falls outside of Toronto. Okay. And that allowed us to have like a bigger tax break and put more money on the screen. But there I had a lot of wine consultants too. And again, I didn't really look at their personal stories. The personal stories are more derived from family and people I know or, or, or things that I've heard along the way as a writer of, you know, someone saying, you know, my dad had an affair with my mom's sister or, you know what I mean? Or, or something like that. You know what I mean? And, and you kind of pick up things along the way and you learn these dynamics and you think, oh, this is going to, this would add for juiciness. I but, can use that somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> right, but, I, right. but I do think I wanted, you know, look, I, I love writing about women and I love writing about strong women. And it was important to me when you look at Vanessa, when you look at August and you look at, you know, Bridget and Melanie and, and, you know, Auntie Vet, that they were all strong, dynamic women who were not necessarily driven by men or any form of sexual partnership. So true. It's a great cast. And I'd love to talk more about the cast, but I want to, before we go too much farther, I do want to get back to the notion that what first struck you in Santa Barbara County when, you know, the idea that a black owned winery was not something that you really thought could actually exist in Santa Barbara County. And in fact, 1% of the wineries in the U.S. are estimated to be owned by African-Americans. So it mm -hmm. is a, a really underrepresented group in, in the wine world. Mm -hmm. And so why, can you talk a little bit more about why that was important to you and how you feel that showing this, this strong King family as successful vintners and why was that important to you? And, you know, what are you showing? Yeah, well, listen, I think that you, um, I, I think that post-civil rights and, you know, we're, Black people have, were kept out of so many industries. So mm -hmm. we are in a constant game of catch up. We are in a constantly trying to catch up and even a playing field that for, you know, for a million, 400 million reasons, years why <laughs> we're behind. And so I think some of the reasons why you don't see us in certain industries is because we weren't allowed in those industries and because those weren't options. So it's not that someone said, oh, Black people cannot be, um, you know, winemakers or they can't own vineyards. It's just that we were in, we were trying to get land and jobs and education and a free, you know what I mean? And a fair yeah. education. And so I think the way you kind of get the numbers higher than 1% is if you literally show images um, of jobs and fields that haven't been depicted before on television so that young kids, as they're growing up, if you wanna make a line, if you're in college and this is what you wanna do, you actually see it as an option. Mm -hmm. And um, you also can see that if you are someone else and you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, or you're, you know, an architect, whatever it is, you're in tech, a tech in the tech field. Um, not only do you, 
is an option to invest money. You can invest in stocks, you can invest in art, you can invest in property, you can invest you know, in commercial property, residential property. There's a million ways to have generational wealth. But some people um, buy vineyards. You know, that is right. another way that people buy businesses, they buy companies, and vineyards are one of those things. And so you see people, you know, I was at the Obama portrait unveiling and I was doing a tour, like a private tour at the Smithsonian and I was talking about the show and a man turned around and, you know, he's an African-American man. He and his wife, you know, own a vineyard in Napa, you know, and so he has another career, but this is something else he does as well. You look at people like the Brown Estate, you look at the Tilfords who are in, um, mm -hmm. in um, Atlanta, you look at McBride sisters, there are people doing it, but I think it's very, very important to show young people that you can do it and there is an avenue to do it. And then maybe, you know, 20 years from now or 50 years from now, the 1% of any business that where black people do not occupy like a fair mm -hmm. share, they'll be in it, You're you right. know, because they would see it. And it's very interesting. You know, I would read like some comments, like we're up in Napa and there are no black people here. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you proud of that? There, we're trying to even it all out. And there actually are more black people now than there were 10 or 15 years ago in the wine um, industry. Right. And so we want to make it in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years, we, we want the percentages of every field to be more equal. Well, that is so true. Um, I've been covering the wine industry for 25 years. Mm -hmm. Mary and I uh, started doing a TV show about wine country 20 years ago. And it's true, when we started, there were not many people of color in the industry. And, you know, in Napa Valley, you just didn't see that. It has been slowly, slowly changing. I will tell you that one comment I hear over and over is that it's important to show that there are black people in the wine industry to so that people of color can relate and say, there's someone who looks like me doing that. That's a possibility for me. Mm -hmm. um, what I found interesting is what you have done is not only that, but you've made it more aspirational that not only can you own a vineyard, but you can be fabulously fierce in all these great clothes and the artwork and mm -hmm. your lifestyle, which is something that doesn't get portrayed very often until now. Yeah, I think, listen, to do, a, to do a complete documentary of the wine world and the wine industry, it is not as glamorous as the Kings. You know? Oh, no. No, it's <laughs> not. Well, we're, we are aware of that, we but we yeah. still love but, the fun. Yeah. We love that family. Yeah, exactly. what you're doing. And I am completely aware of that. I'm aware of, like, the houses aren't as big. Like, there's a million different things. And it is a real labor of love for people. It takes over 10 years to, like, break even if you're lucky. There's so right. many things 
that are, you know, um, that are real in the wine industry that I jumped over in making the show. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is because like, I was really trying to make an aspirational show about the family and the wine industry is the backdrop and the parents, you know, um, were an on, she's, Vanessa was a journalist. She was like a, you know, a local journalist on air. So she had a job at a station and he is a surgeon. And so with those jobs, you know, you do have money and you do have choices about what you're going to do with your money and how you're going to invest your money. So I wanted to really get us to a point where we saw like, yes, they've created this amazing, amazing wine, but they've also educated their children at the best schools in the country. They've also, you know, support and are philanthropic in, you know, supporting art. Art. They've traveled around the world. And when you look at their home, you can feel like, oh, they've been on safaris. They've been to France. They've eaten in Italy. They've done all of these things. And I wanted it to just kind of jump into that aspiration. And the way I tried to show the struggle was, you know, that it is hard to put out a wine. It is hard to compete. Um, but I did want to really kind of embrace that they were selling that sort of uber cottage core, amazing like lifestyle as well. Sure. Well, I think one of the, and I've had this discussion with many people, the wine industry has done a big disservice to itself in the past. It's getting a little better, but by not reaching out to people of color and to their communities and creating wine culture that incorporates their their cultures, the black experience, the mm-hmm. the Asian experience, the Latinx experience. Um, yeah. I think it's it's still not where it need not anywhere close to where it needs to be. So shows like yours can start that conversation and elevate it. Absolutely. It's it's mighty white and it has been and it remains mostly. But yeah. it is a, I, I we both appreciate what you're doing and representing um, a, a strong black family is yeah. um, can only help us all, right? I get, and I was going to just add there. You know, there are like the New York Times did a you know piece last year on all of the black people that are kind of rising to the top of the wine industry, and there are pieces getting written, and people are talking about it. And I, I just think the more people see things, the more people can. Um, they can actually aspire to be in it and and to be it because my friends that are black in LA, you know, we drink wine, like we we drink mm-hmm. wine, we travel right. around the world, we buy art, we like all of those things, and you know, we go to wine country and and um, do wine tastings, and so I think it's just great to shine a light on. It's not just a certain demographic that you'd expect. Exactly. Right. right. Yeah. Well, we mentioned your, the cast earlier, and you have put together a terrific cast on this show. Um, you, you know the the strong women and uh, and the power struggles amongst the family are highlighted because you have such terrific people 
playing these characters. And one of the things I think is really interesting is you have uh, Dana King who play, you know, he is a little person who's a member of the family. He's the older brother, Dana King. Uh And I thought what an interesting choice. And, you know, you talk about underrepresented populations, including a little person on your show, just I think adds to the depth and the um, the creativity of your show. And I just loved it. I was, so I was curious about that decision and right. if, how you got there. I, you know, there's an editor, um, I, I'm just blanking on his name. His name is Mark, but I'm blanking on his last name. He's at GQ and I was in Miami at a film festival, ABFF film festival, and I saw a screening I was doing press for, I think, Claws, and I screened a short myself. And after my short, there was this short called Trapeze. And it was from this editor who did it. And um, Rance Nick starred in it. And when he came on the screen, I was just captivated. I said, oh my gosh, this, this young man is brilliant. He's genius. And he's just popping off the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when the screening was done, my husband and I, he, we were expecting to go out to eat. And I said, let's, I want to go upstairs and I want to rewrite this part for Rance Nicks. And I want him to be Dana. Cause I felt that he was just so, so powerful and so formidable. I thought him being in this world would be like very, very special. And it's interesting because I actually, I know he's a little person, but I just, I, he's just such a big presence. I forget, you know what I mean? Like I really forget. And he's so formidable and so powerful. Um, it, it, it is, it is truly, truly a blessing to have him on the show and I'm grateful, but it, it came out of me actually seeing him and seeing him come on screen in a theater. And I thought, you know, he's a star. He is. He's man. He is a fantastic his, actor. His presence is incredible. It just takes up the room when he walks mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. And it's funny when I would, when I saw him, I then went on Instagram and I started following him and looking at pictures and I loved how he was dressed. He was very impeccable. I loved his suits, his ties. I loved his casual wear. He was very like, here's what I wear when I ski. <laughs> here's what I wear when I'm like at drinks with friends. Here's my Sunday vest. Like, and you know, here's his, you know, Burberry kind of like, he just was so on point with his style yeah. that that was sort of infused in the character because okay. I wanted him to feel you know, you know, feel like he feels or, and, and more elevated. Well, he's impeccably dressed, but the entire cast is, so we've got to talk about the fashion. <laughs> I mean, oh, right. You know, I love watching shows that have great clothing, great wardrobes. So tell us, cause I was reading that, um, I think you have a, um, a woman of color who's your costume designer and you also are showcasing some known and also some up-and-coming black designers yeah we um um i i winded up hiring michelle light she is a black canadian um she is based in toronto she's somebody i wanted to work with since i did self-made with um and she wasn't available so this was a great great opportunity for us to join forces um 
she immediately, you know, read the script and sort of broke down each character. And she knew that everybody was going to have a vibrant, distinct sort of look. And when we first look at our number one, you know, Ebony, who is just, you know, breathtaking and, you know, just so fierce. She had come off of FBI, the Dick Wolf show. Mm -hmm. And we, we wanted her to be a fashionista. We wanted her to be very, you know, whimsical, kind of give us that Carrie Bradshaw feeling of yeah. like the original Sex and the City. Like she'd wear tools, she'd wear, you know, leather pants, she'd wear a t-shirt and you'd be like, where's your skirt? But that would be her dress, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so she, we started there and we, we built her as the center since she is the star and we, made sure that she in every scene had some fierce to not designer. Um, we had Fen Noel, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, she's an African-American um, designer in New York. We had a lot of Pierre Moss. We had Balmain, uh, Balmain. And mm -hmm. um, we had, you know, everyone from, we, we had a lot of emerging black designers. And then we had people like Zimmerman, which has that kind of um, Victorian, I think they're Australian yes. sisters, that Victorian feel, mm -hmm. which feels very much so like you would be in a vineyard mm -hmm. with that, with those dresses. And well, so- I have, Yeah, I have to say that what they wear in the vineyards, like, okay, that's not what you would normally see. But, um, <laughs> but, you know. Well, props to <laughs> Ebene Noel for, she can walk a vineyard row and I have walked my share yeah. being filmed. And uh, she can walk a vineyard row in heels and not wobble. And she, <laughs> I mean, she she looks fantastic. Yeah. And I could barely, even in boots, I was always like, oops, just hit a pothole. Oops, you know. <laughs> like I was you know what's so funny? It's so funny. So in most of the time, we tried to have them in some sort of sneaker or like a slide. Uh -huh. but in when they were on the vineyard but this is what's so crazy when she's in that last week she was in a Bauman dress and she's walking in heels uh -huh. I think that's what it is yeah and she um I think we forgot her shoes <laughs> her shoes were literally like to get send someone back to base camp and come back would have been 20 minutes and we mm. would have lost light <laughs> so, uh, so I think she just worked it and we had her walk in those heels and she could do it. <laughs> she really good. She looked great. She Hats, looked steady as a rock. Exactly. <laughs> to her. She can strut her stuff in a vineyard. <laughs> but it truly was a kind of like, wait a second, she's going to walk down the rows with this <laughs> on. And I think there's one other time we have an incident like that, but she plays it off and you just go, this is aspirational because listen, it's hard in sneakers. It is. <laughs> it really hard. is. We know, we know. <laughs> hey, I wanted to know, Janine, what's it like working with Oprah Winfrey? And is she involved in the show? You mentioned that you guys, did she work with you? You were going to have two families or a yeah. competing winery or something. So how closely are you guys working together? Or is, you know, how she often was, do you guys get to interact? You know, she was very involved. Um, as I developed the script, you know, her, she has a, amazing team as you would expect 
um, and they helped give um, notes and, you know, I developed the script with them and rework some things. And it was more kind of making it, you know, more on budget. You know, sometimes you have to strip away things just to make it more doable. Mm -hmm. But when we started shooting, you know, I did, you know, she was involved in my initial pitches to her, you know, and that is a thing unto itself. You know, you think, oh my gosh, what are you going to do when you finally have this moment where you're pitching to Oprah Winfrey? Mm -hmm. <laughs> It's definitely scary. Yeah, how do you keep from fainting? <laughs> exactly, but she has this, you know, the reason why she's Oprah is she has a way of calming you yeah. quickly. And so she was involved. Um, she gave, she watched dailies and she gave notes, she gave feedback. Um, she gave feedback on script things, um, performance things, looks, you know, um, the look of the home. I think she wanted it to feel authentic. And, you know, she is a person who's been in a, a, amazing, not only does she most likely have an amazing impeccable environment, all I've seen is the offices, which are impeccable, but um, she's been around the world. So she knows how people live. And so I think it was important to, for her, for this to feel big and aspirational, but also to feel lived in and warm in places. And you wanted the family to feel like, although they might own a vineyard, they still have Sunday dinner and, you know, eat soul food, Yeah, you know, and you wanted to feel that way in their house that, yes, we could have done a very kind of posh living room, dining room where you didn't feel like they would be sitting and talking, but it was intentional to make it feel lived in. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you about two characters that really intrigue me. Um, one is Rose. And, <laughs> she, and um, for everybody who's listening, you may know that she is married to Dana King. And um, what blew me away was the scene where Rose votes against Dana. So talk about her character and you know, how that tension. I think, you know, Rose was, is sort of this woman who married into the family. Um, she's absolutely striking. She's from London and she has always been ride or die for her husband. And there is just an assumption about her and her character that she will always side and support um, Dana. Right. All, you know, always like that people don't even ask her her opinion anymore because they know what it is. It's whatever, <laughs> yeah. it's whatever Dana thinks. Yeah. And I think we know a lot of people in our lives that are like that and they're, they're struggling to sort of um, find their voice. And mm -hmm. I think um, Rose gets this relationship, this friendship with Bridget. And in this intimate moment, you know, Bridget encourages her to find her voice. And that she can't be a wallpaper. She cannot be a wallflower. She has to like be who she's meant to be. Mm -hmm. And we learned that, you know, she, you know, she used to be a writer and she was writing this book. It got, you know, pivoted, like she pivoted to other things when she met Dana. You know, we learn later, you know, that she was spraying, you know, perfume at the Calvin Klein counter. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and, and we understand who that woman is. Yes, yes. You tried to do different things, then you probably needed a job, you got a job in retail, like all of these things that are that are you know great ways to make a living, etc. And um, when she decides to vote against Dana, I really wanted it to be a scene where she found her voice. And in this moment of tension, the family was all looking at each other and all expecting her to side with Dana. And this way, Dana would win. It would, it would be his right. stepping stone. I think we, I also wanted to platform them initially as more sort of like, you know, Lady Macbeth and Macbeth. They, they had this they had this team together to do something mm -hmm. and she didn't play by the rules yeah well and, i didn't see that coming and it was a delight yeah and he went listen he went in on her in a very kind of bold vicious way yes <laughs> and <laughs> and he there will be more fallout from that oh okay um, I think Rose is one of those people that you meet in life. You know, a lot of people show you their hand from the jump. You kind of know what hand they're playing. You know their cards. But I think Rose is more deliberate. She's more um, observant. And she's going to slowly play her hand. She's playing the long game. She's, yes. oh, she's totally playing the long game. Yeah. <laughs> This was just card one. This was just card oh. one. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a great great tease. The other character I'm intrigued by is Christian for two reasons. First, um, that he's bipolar, mm -hmm. and you don't often see characters who are openly um, talking about being bipolar in a role. Mm -hmm. And the second reason is, and I'm I'm wondering. Um, because this rang so true for me that um, because Bridget is banned from the vineyard and Bridget was managing the vineyards, now Christian has to step into this role, which he has no clue about. Right. And, um, <laughs> and the vineyard workers totally do not accept him. And mm. that would be so true. That really is like, okay, that's spot on. That would happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how did you come to that? Well, in terms of um, him having bipolar, I, I really wanted to deal with men, mental health and especially as it relates to African-American men. I think so often they are not treated, they're not diagnosed and, you know, sometimes even criminalized for mental issues when the issue is actually mental, you know what I mean? And right. And so I think it's very important for us to talk about mental health. I um, also thought it was important for the first season to show somebody who was managing his mental health. He was managing his bipolar mm -hmm. and not necessarily show him not managing, not having therapy or not taking medication, whatever. I wanted to really I wanted you to hear him say, this is what I'm dealing with. His mother wanted, you know, kind of holding hands with him to say, I'm here for you. I'm walking with you, um, but I don't want you to get too stressed. I don't like, she's always checking in on him because she wants to make sure he's doing well. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think, again, I think 
you know, unless you see black men in their full humanity, you will not believe it because it's just sometimes there, it's just not on television all the time. Yeah. And so I think this is part of his humanity as a character that makes him more human as well is that he is the youngest. He is, you know, of the, you know, the zeitgeist and the culture. He's into like the new drip. He wants to have Versace on. Right. He, <laughs> he, he is, and, he, and he's allowed to be a 20 something year old kid. It, and that's part of his growth. But he has to figure out, is he going to have a place in this company? Mm-hmm. And so I think we're meeting him at that moment and he's trying, he doesn't know how to get people to like him. Mm-hmm. And the way he's learned to get people to like them is I'm going to buy them. I'm going <laughs> to, yeah. while they're working, I'm going to bring my bourbon out and I know. chicken <laughs> and some like biscuits and everyone's going to have a little party before they work. And he's not even thinking like the workers can't drink and work machinery in a vineyard exactly it'd be a little dangerous it's a it's a little dangerous and it's a little libel (laughs) yeah 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 but again it shows he has no clue but then you know he comes to a point i think he's starting to realize he's got to change something to be accepted he does and i think he's got to change it to be accepted and he's got to i think by the end of the last episode you know he kind of took you see him take his shirt off and he just has the t-shirt on and he's starting to strip away the designer gigs right you know Mm -hmm. so that he can fit in and actually look like he's trying to work well i love the line that one of the vineyard workers said you know without all your bling, how do I recognize you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There are so many great story arcs in this series and in the characters and the way you're developing each of them to give you so many dimensions and directions to go with them. So it certainly, um, it's a show that's got a lot going on and I love that. Um, you. You know, we were talking earlier about how some of this is aspirational and about how when people see representations on screen, they can visualize themselves doing something like that. So I thought it might be interesting if you told us how you got your start. You've worked on so many shows and films and you're, you've got a really long list of credits from producer to writer to showrunner you know, uh, on, on many different series from Criminal Minds, Claws, Third Watch, ER, mm-hmm. and then the self-made, you know, the story of Madame C.J. Walker. Yes. Mm-hmm. Madame C.J. Walker. Fantastic. And I mean, so you've got a lot of credits under your belt. So how did you get started in all of this? You know, I, I moved out here and I wanted to write. I, I knew I wanted to write. I graduated from Howard University. I came out. I started um being an assistant I worked for some big managers and I read a lot of scripts I eventually got into the Warner Brothers writing program and that I used a sample of a a pre-existing show which we call a spec and I winded up getting in and I went I did a few comedies like the Jamie Foxx show and the PJs another show called Lush Life 
And then I knew, you know, I wanted, I liked writing humorous things, but I wanted to write about life and death too, and have those sort of stakes. So I wanted up switching to drama and I got mentored by John Wells. And um, at the time he had ER West Wing um, and Third Watch on, and I got on Third Watch. I was there for five seasons and got to wrote a, write a lot. And then I went to the final four years of ER. And after ER, in, in, in those environments, I got to write for some amazing actors, whether that was Stanley Tucci or Forrest Whitaker, I got to, or Sally Field, I, I got to hone my craft with some of the best. And then I um, winded up, a, my boss from Criminal Minds went, not my boss from Third Watch went over to Criminal Minds. I winded up going there and I was an executive producer for five years. And then I signed a deal at Warner's and Warner's brought me back to write more character stuff. And that's where I was able to do Claws and able to do, um, which just ended last night. Oh, and congrats. Yeah, thank you. And I did Self Made and um, with Octavia Spencer. And so good. Yeah, no, it was, it's been wonderful. And then they're the ones, Warner Brothers is the ones that helped get my script to own and to Oprah. And we developed this and it's, you know, just been a delight to do um, because I think, you know, we've been in the pandemic for a couple years now. Um, it has been dark times at times for all of us. And I think watching an aspirational family and an aspirational show that's bright and fun and has dynamics and has the juiciness that the Kings bring, you know, is, is, what's kind of needed right now, because we, we want to watch television and escape to different worlds. And this is a world like there's nothing more calming and more aspirational than, you know, having a glass of wine and walking through vines. It's just, it's a, it's a calming aspirational feel. And I think to put this family with their clothes and their dynamism, you know, in that environment, you know, has just been really, really thrilling. So true. So true. I mean, you know, and, you know, especially for folks living in California, you know, wine country is so accessible yes. and it's, um, and I know there's been all this pent up demand to go to wineries, to go tasting, just to go, sit in the vineyard and just chill and relax. Yeah. And I think relaxing and enjoying life, you know, is sort of the moral of the pandemic story. Like we, you need to enjoy, you know, um, your wine, your food, your friends, the people that you love outside and you need to enjoy life. And I think that's what, you know, wine country does and I think that's what the show does it's kind of a toast to enjoying your life do you have time to enjoy your life you sound awfully busy <laughs> <laughs> I you know I do I, I I have one of my best friends is here and she she and I went swimming last night and we had some wine <laughs> by the pool yeah. <laughs> yeah and so I definitely um I definitely think that we got to take time to like celebrate ourselves and celebrate life and just relax. 
So when you are looking for a wine to enjoy, what do you gravitate towards? You know, I am definitely a white wine drinker. I love Pinot Grigio. I love Chardonnays. I love anything that's light. Yes, um, me too. I am, and for whatever reason, I don't gravitate as much to reds. And mm-hmm. I, and I will tell people this, and then they'll bring out the most expensive bottle, and I'm still like, "What white yeah. wine do you have?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I I prefer white wines myself, and there's so many great wine white wines that are as complex. Yes. And more aromatic. I love the aromatics. That's what drives me. Yes. And yes. I find I need a lighter wine just because otherwise I don't metabolize it well. You know, I, the, the lighter wines tend to have, I think, just less alcohol and that that's easier I, on my system. I think you're, I think you're completely, completely right. But if you find a great bottle, you will, you will salute it. I, I hope next season the Kings, you know, maybe they'll put one of their wines on the shelves. <laughs> So, so are you confirming that there's a season two coming? No, I'm not confirming. I, <laughs> my fingers crossed okay. from my wine glass to your wine glass. Yes. <laughs> well, let me get my good friend Oprah on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> you call her, but I am definitely, you know, I, I would definitely celebrate that option. And so, but right now I'm just cherishing, you know, the next um, four episodes until our, you know, our finale, we did eight episodes. And so we have four more left and I'm just thrilled for the audience to see where this goes. Yes. Yes. So are we, it's, you know, it's like, um, I was saying to Mary Brad Babbitt earlier, gosh, you know, in a way it's like, I wish it was all the episodes kind of dropped at once so I could just binge it. I know. A lot of people have said that to us. Yeah. I, I wish it was, hopefully it will stream, you know, when this is over, but right now, you know, we are eight, seven central on own every Tuesday tomorrow, the next episode drops. Yep. And, um, yeah, everybody just needs to stay tuned and tell your friends and yes. tell their friends and bring your exactly. wine. Yes. And <laughs> set your beast. DVR and then you can binge it. You can binge it and that helps us too. So that would be, that's cheers. That would be amazing. Well, Janine Sherman-Berroir, what a pleasure to visit with you today. Congratulations on Kings of Napa. It is such a fun show and I'm super excited that you're building an audience full of people who um, are really enjoying watching this successful black family um, of vintners. And um, anyway, we're, yeah. And just for telling great stories that need to be told. Thank you. Yes. So that is the goal. (laughs) Listeners, if you haven't found it, you need to check this one out. It's a lot of fun. Yes. Yes. On the own network Tuesdays, 8 PM Eastern and 7 PM central and on the West coast, that's 8 PM as well. Well, we're going to let you go and enjoy your girlfriend. Um, Cheers to you, Janine and um, sip, sip, hooray. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, you guys. Take care. Thanks, Janine. Cheers. 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 (laughs) Well, Mary Babbitt, what a great conversation we had with Janine Sherman-Berrois. I mean, she is bringing drama to the Black wine culture. Oh, absolutely. And you talk about a powerful woman who is using her talent and her 
platform to highlight not only um, uh, a successful Black family, but she also is including mental health issues in the show. She has cast a, a little person as one of the most powerful characters on the show. She's getting a lot done in this show in such a fun way. The yes. show is truly fun. And Wine is, as we said, kind of in the background. It is not the central character, but it's really, really a lot of fun to watch. It is. The setting is beautiful. As we mentioned, the fashion is fierce. <laughs> and it's just it is it's a lot of fun but again it's um you know it is putting people of color in powerful aspirational situations which is you know especially as you know in the wine industry it's about time it is about time again the show's on the own network and it is tuesdays it drops on tuesdays and She's got, we, what did she say, four more episodes left? Four more episodes from our taping today. Well, by the time you all hear this on Sip Sip Hooray, there may be one or two shows left. And I can't even imagine what the finale is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that is going to do it for Sip Sip Hooray today. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope if you enjoyed today's show that you'll share it with your friends and tell other people about us. You can find us on all your social media platforms at Sip Sip Hooray Podcast. And wherever you listen to our podcast, we hope you'll go in and give us a rating if you like the show. That just helps other people find us. But we really thank you for joining us, and um, we hope you tune in next time. And if you have missed any of our past episodes, go to our website, sipsipparaypodcast.com. You'll see all the other great interviews we've done with amazing wine people. All right, Mary Orlin, cheers to you, girl. Cheers, Mary Babbitt, and sip, sip, hooray. Sip, sip, hooray. Sip, sip, hooray.